Welcome to the B'nai B'rith International Podcast. I'm CEO Dan Mariashin. Thank you for tuning in today. In just a moment, we'll be speaking with a very special guest, the former special envoy to monitor and combat anti-Semitism at the U.S. State Department. While you're settling in, be sure to visit our website, benebrit.org, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. The easiest way to get the latest episode is to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play on your smartphone. Joining me today from our headquarters in Washington, D.C., is Ira Foreman. Ira formerly served as the U.S. Special Envoy of the Office to Monitor and Combat Anti-Semitism at the State Department from 2012 to 2017 and has more than 40 years of experience in Jewish communal work and public service. Prior to that, among many jobs around Washington, Ira was the executive director of the National Jewish Democratic Council for nearly 15 years, and he's also served on the boards of a number of Jewish nonprofits. Ira's been a friend of B'nai B'rith's for years, often taking the time to meet with staff and volunteer leaders, and even speaking at our policy forum in 2013 to discuss his office's efforts to combat anti-Semitism worldwide. Ira, welcome to the program. My pleasure. Well, let's begin with the special envoy's position. Uh, When was it created? Um, I'm not going to ask why was it created, because there clearly was a need, and perhaps uh, it should have been created long before that. But it was created, and uh, over the years, uh, really culminating with your uh, years of service at the State Department, uh, really uh, the position has become indispensable uh, to the community and to the human rights community writ large. Uh, well, Dan, it started uh, it w- through a piece of legislation that was passed in 2004. And even in 2004, as many of your our listeners may remember, partisanship was very significant in the Congress, and most issues turned into a partisan brawl. But this is one that did not and has, I think, very importantly, remained one of the very, very few issues that has no partisan taint to it uh, because when it was started, uh, it was two Republicans, Senator George Voinovich and Congressman Chris Smith and Tom Lantos, Democrat, the only Holocaust survivor who ever served in Congress, were the co-sponsors and had essentially unanimous support. So 2004 is when the legislation was actually passed. Uh, It took a while to set up the office, uh, but 2006 is when it came, uh, began functioning at the State Department. It says to monitor and combat. That's collecting information, and then tell us about the the proactive side. Well, that's really interesting. We talk about that all the time when we were at State. Monitoring, the State Department does now a really efficient job, and the I would say the Special Envoy's job is pretty straightforward there uh, because the department puts out uh, two reports, the most widely read reports, the International Religious Freedom Report and the Human Rights Report, every year. And in those reports, we have extensive reporting on anti-Semitism in roughly 60 to 70 countries. And those of you who know Jewish demographics know that there are not significant Jewish populations in 60 or 70 countries. So we're obviously reporting on countries where there are no Jews or almost no Jews, but still have anti-Semitism. So that is largely done by our embassies and consulates around the world. 
and brought to Washington and edited, including by us, in the countries of interest to us. Um, but I would say that's a good lead-in to the fact that um, Special Envoy, from day one, I think was important uh, and needed. But the Special Envoy, in and of itself in that office, does can do relatively little alone. And having other parts of the State Department, maybe most importantly the embassies and consulates, because they're the ones on the ground and often the only friendly face that a Jewish community will find. Uh, and they can provide, even in the worst circumstances, some comfort to a community that might be under a lot of pressure. And you found, as time moved on, that local Jewish communities would uh, establish um, relationships uh, with, with folks at the embassy? Or did the embassy yeah. reach out to them, yeah. or was it yeah. a little bit of both? Yeah, um, well, that's, that's a great question, which I don't know the answer totally to. What I do know is uh, I, w- I visited, over the course of 44 months, uh, 30, I think 33, maybe 34 countries, uh, many which I went five or six times. And every single one I visited, the embassy staff had a list of Jewish leaders, not just a list, these were people they knew, they spoke with, they brought in, say, for perhaps a Rosh Hashanah New Year uh, reception or July 4th, etc. So there was always in every embassy that relationship. Now, I will say, some embassies had a really, really deep relationship and others a more casual one. But I was pleasantly surprised that that happened. You also asked me about the not just monitoring, combating anti-Semitism, and that's really the tough one because Congress did not give us any um, clear guidelines. What does combating mean? And it can mean many different things. And I think each special envoy, there have been three up to now, uh, took a slightly different look at that. Um, but uh, one of the things I found pretty quickly is combating is very different in different countries. Every single country is different, different forms of anti-Semitism, uh, violence or no violence, different attitudes by the government, different demographics in the country, uh, and so and different relationships that the United States had with the country. Let me give you an example. We have no diplomatic relations with Iran, uh, and they still a significant Jewish community in Iran. Uh, we have almost no, not totally no, I wouldn't talk about certain things, but almost no ability to influence Iran. And frankly, we have diplomatic relations with Venezuela, but in my time, I could never get into Venezuela. I could never get a, uh, uh, get a uh, visa to get in. And we had limited, we talked with Venezuelan Jews. Um, I think actually some B'nai B'rith members as well, but we were never able to do much. On the other hand, in a place like France, where we have the third largest Jewish community in the world, half a million Jews, um, we, we have a serious, serious problem, including violence, and a real worry by the, of that Jewish community of what's the future going to bring. And yet we have a government that we may disagree sometimes on exactly how to combat anti-Semitism, but the current government in France, and the frankly the center-right government that preceded it, and I suspect uh, if it's a Macron government that you will continue that, has a very proactive policy on anti-Semitism, not just to protect the Jewish community, but because there's a feeling that if the Jewish community is in peril, 
the, literally the values of the French Republic are in peril. And so in both those cases, when you have a country that has excellent relations with the United States and is tr- really truly trying its best to control this, we can give advice sometimes, but we have less of an impact. Sometimes it's the country in the middle. We have a relationship. The relationship's important to both countries, but isn't that close? And we have some real disagreements. That may be the place where direct U.S. government intervention is the most helpful. But I also got to say something really important here that I think is this is not a problem addressed by the U.S. government alone. And frankly, it certainly should not be a, a problem that's addressed by Jewish communal organizations alone. This is not a Jewish problem. The government needs Jewish NGOs to deal with this and frankly are the most important ally in this fight. We also need our allies in Europe and other places and other democracies to take this fight on. Uh, We also need civil society, most importantly, in all of these countries to take the fight on. And we need religious institutions like the Catholic Church, which in many cases actually has taken the fight on. But do we we need more special envoys? How many countries actually established positions like ours, like the one that you you held? Well, that's a good question. Um, Israel clearly has that position. Um, uh, Germany has a kind of a hybrid position that deals with some of these issues. And Germany, in the last few years that I was uh, in the State Department, was very active in this area. But there's actually, literally, I read an article in the last week that there's a call for a specific envoy position that uh, is, sl- is different than the one that's at the German Foreign Ministry that really focuses on domestic anti-Semitism. Um, Austria, I believe, is now uh, has some kind of position like this. But uh, normally we're dealing with uh, allies in foreign ministries, etc. And it's a good question you ask. I think it was it's always something our, that we should be yes uh, encouraging. It was it was U.S. policy that we encouraged our allies to have a special envoy for anti-Semitism. That's absolutely correct. Uh, and frankly, for domestic anti-Semitism, we of course don't have a special envoy for our domestic anti-Semitism. There's been calls by some for that. Um, And we do have at the, both the Justice Department and Homeland Security, a lot of folks working on that. Yeah, B'nai B'rith actually has has called for uh, at least a position in the Justice Department which which would would deal with it. Yes. Um, uh, Well, it would seem to me as if um, this is an issue that we we should be uh, encouraging uh, governments um, to uh, uh, to do and to create these positions. But you you know you visited thirty three or thirty four countries. Walk us through. You know, Ira Foreman has arrived. The special envoy has arrived in capital A or B or C. Who, in addition to the local community, who did you meet with? Well, um, you always meet with government officials. Uh, sometimes it's education ministry because education is a huge piece of the fight against anti-Semitism. Uh, most often it's foreign ministry officials. Uh, often it's interior ministry officials because they are the folks who have local police uh, uh, protection, etc. And often that's a big problem for Jewish communities. Uh, so you meet with the community. And I will tell you, for me personally, in most communities – although every situation is very different, is the most important. Having an understanding of what they face is so important to us. So important. Because 
our main goal in combating anti-Semitism uh, in, in the period 2013 and 2017 I was there was protection of Jewish communities, protecting them against anti-Semitism. So that visit was absolutely essential. But the government visits were often amazingly good, but there were times you would just get propaganda. And sometimes, very rarely, I would hear from somebody who I'd say, wow, do you realize what you just said? Um, and often very shocking, but that was quite rare. More, more often either very good or kind of a very canned presentation. The other important groups we met with were civil society, often NGOs, human rights NGOs, not all of whom care about anti-Semitism or at least work on it. Uh, often the anti-Semitism issue is in some human rights groups is packed into the Arab-Israeli conflict, Arab, uh, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And um, so some of these human rights groups stay away, but there are some really good, often small, often run by young people that are, just kind of give us the most hope, who are dedicated to fighting anti-Semitism. The other institution of civil society that we tried to see, particularly toward the end when I think we had a realization that religious institutions were absolutely essential, were churches, mosques, etc. Partly because how the nature of the hierarchical nature of the Catholic Church and the strong positions of every pope since John the 23rd, but particularly this pope on combating anti-Semitism, we often went to the church and places, particularly when Often B'nai B'rith would brief us about Latin America, and the church's particular position there was often very interesting and important. Uh, willingness to stand up for the Jewish community against anti-Semitism. You know, of course, we, um, we travel, and, and in the case of B'nai B'rith, we have B'nai B'rith in many, many countries, and we also meet with government officials, raise these issues. And uh, oftentimes, you know, we would hear, uh, I Reformant has just been here, or I Reformant is coming. And I think it's, it's important that... that we heard that because it, it validated the value of the position that uh, these folks knew that the U.S. government takes this seriously. We take, the, you know, we take your visit seriously, my, you know, the, whether it's us or any of the other Jewish organizations. But knowing that the government is kind of in tandem, and uh, I can't tell you how many places um, uh, where we heard that, and, and frankly, it was uh, reassuring. Not reassuring necessarily because we knew that we were going to defeat the problem right away, yeah. but reassuring that uh, the U.S. government not only was keeping an eye on it, but was at, engaged proactively. I, I, let me just say uh, in response, Dan, that that's very lovely to hear. I'm glad to hear that. Um, the most important piece, I think, of coming often was just to show the community that we did care and that they did have a friend. Now, they always knew that they had friends at the embassy. But kind of knowing you also had a friend and uh, you had friends and offices in Washington was, was really important. But ultimately, I, I really do have to say, one of the things we learned is the office of the special envoy, the special envoy himself, are not that important. It's important, the job that is done is important, to bring others together. Because the office, no matter how much resources any State Department's going to put into it, any administration, is going to be too small to do things. You need, we need really importantly people in the department, not just the embassies and consulates, but our regional bureaus 
to take a stand, as well as our functional bureaus like Human Rights, uh, Human Rights Democracy, and uh, and Labor. Uh, we need, as we said, our Jewish NGOs, and having that coordination with the Jewish NGOs, probably the most important help to our office in my time. Uh, we couldn't have done our job. We couldn't have gotten up to speed without B'nai B'rith and other Jewish organizations, your briefings, your assets in other countries, totally crucially important. And in many cases, again, I go back to civil society. We need civil society, particularly these Jewish communities in Europe. And, uh, and that goes everywhere, you could say, from the church to literally youth groups. So, Ira, why the spike in anti-Semitism? You know, we, we look at the Internet, um, and we look at social media, uh, we look at, uh, at the rise of, uh, of anti-Semitism on the, on the left, on the, on the extreme right. right. What, what, what's your take? Because this is something that uh, occupies uh, really uh, justifiably a good part of, of our work yeah. and, and that of other organizations. Your you know, take. You know, Dan, I wish I could give you a pretty uh, compact, neat explanation, and I don't have one. Uh, the problem is, I think what stunned me the most, really getting to know it, is how complex this is. We talked a little bit about differences in each country. Uh, and I would tell you the reasons for anti-Semitism are often different in different countries. Um, I love to quote a survey research from the Fundamental Rights Agency, FRA, that did a survey of the eight largest Jewish communities in the EU um, in 2012. Uh, and they were asking Jew- those Jewish communities how they were experiencing anti-Semitism. And one question was, have you thought of leaving your home country over the last five years because of anti-Semitism? And the answer EU-wide, I think, was something like 28% said, yes, I thought about leaving. In France, the number was 46%. In Hungary, the number was 48%. And I say that because if you knew nothing more, you might think, oh, France and Hungary, similar anti-Semitism. Nothing could be further from the truth. You, in Hungary, we have classical xenophobic extreme right anti-Semitism, which is the major threat to the Jewish community, and actually no violence up to now. As those xenophobic forces have perpetrated violence against other minorities like Roma, but Jews so far have not suffered. In France, you have that xenophobic right-wing anti-Semitism, but the real threat, because uh, it's violent, is from a very small percentage of Muslim uh, French Muslim citizens. And I say it's a very small percentage. It may be a minuscule percentage, but when you have five, six, seven million Muslims in France, one one-hundredth of a percent is a lot of people and is a serious threat. So... Um, uh, I, I would say that it, there's no single answer. I could tell you that economic dislocation, as we saw in Europe after the 2007 8 uh, recession, Great Recession, every time when you have economic de- dislocation, you're going to have anti Semitism, you're going to have a rise of xenophobia, etc. But that doesn't explain it all. Uh, some of it is related to the Palestinian Israeli conflict. Um, depending on the population. Uh, in Eastern Europe, it almost never is. Sometimes we had riots 
during the Gaza War, et cetera, is another example. Uh, we're also 70 years from the Holocaust. People, or 75 years, people are forgetting what that meant. So that's another explanation. But I don't have a clean, a clean way of telling you this is what, A, what causes it, and there's no clean way to say, I know exactly what you have to do to defeat it. But I do know the types of things we have to do not to defeat it, because we're not defeating anti-Semitism in our lifetime. It is with us. I always use the analogy, it's like a faucet. We can't turn the faucet off in this generation, but we sure as heck can turn it down. It was turned down after World War II, we can do it again, and that's our job. Uh, so it's not clean, it's not easy, it's not neat, and there's no easy explanation that I know. Maybe people much smarter than I have a good one. I don't. Well, what I'd like to do, Ira, because time is uh, drawing near here, uh, is to invite you back because uh, we haven't really gone through the various uh, global regions, uh, and there's a lot more to, to talk about. So well, I, uh, I apologize for talk going no, on and no, talking no, so long. No, no, well, the subject really is a subject for hours of discussion, and I would like to uh, to ask you to to come back. Uh, but before we go, there is one other issue that um, I'd like to raise because it's uh, kind of a good way to upbeat way to close the program. About 16 years ago, and you correct me if I'm wrong on the time, you were editor of a very important uh, reference called Jews uh, in American Politics, uh, which uh, is uh, on my bookshelf and uh, was a terrific compendium of information, historical information about early Jews in, in our American political system, uh, bringing it all the way current to those who are currently serving. And uh, it was an excellent book which suggested to me, and I think I may have mentioned this to you along the way, that, well, I think that uh, Ira Foreman is going to come out with this book every two years or every four years. It's going to be <laughs> updated. So where is the next one? So let me ask you, um, I'm sure that I'm not the only one who's thinking about this. Are you considering another updated edition? Uh, because, uh, you know, if you're not, I think you should. Well, I would love to do it, and uh, as I think I mentioned to you, that I, I think I'm going to be teaching a course at Georgetown next spring on kind of the Jewish role in American politics. I would love to do it. My wife has told me, uh, no way until you get someone to pay for it, because it's going to take you another two years to do it. Um, I think it's that. It, I would love to do it. It's the, If so, it's down the road. Still got two kids in college. I got to get out. And... Uh, and to have a nine-to-five job, and which doesn't allow me to quite do the book. I have a feeling there will be another edition at some point along the way. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, thanks again for joining us for the B'nai International Podcast. Please visit our website, b'nai Like our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter. Subscribe on your smartphone through the podcast app for iPhone or through Google Play for Android. And lastly... Tell a friend about us. For our special guest, Ira Foreman, I'm Dan Mariashin. We'll talk to you next time on the B'nai B'rith International Podcast. <laughs>